Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. As always, I'm hanging out, talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on? Not much. I'm ready for war, though. I cannot acknowledge you as my friend right now. <laughs> yeah, as, as a friend, we are no longer friends or, nor brothers. This is... War paint this is, is on. what's come down to. <laughs> paint is on. Well, you know, we were watching the uh, Republican debate last week, and we thought, you know, we could probably sound a lot more intelligent than them in probably a minute's time, and I think we've already achieved that just in this intro, but we wanted to get a debate going of our own, uh, and what more better a classic debate than college football, Big Ten versus SEC, North versus South, Let's air out all the problems, all the issues, hear all the arguments. Let's get a little debate going in here and let's flesh some things out. So, Chris, are you are you ready? I was born ready for this. My entire <laughs> life has led me to this moment. This yeah, this is destiny. There I mean, we need some pretty epic music playing right now. Like we real we're realizing that this is what we were born to do right here. Okay. Well, I will I will open, I guess. Um, Chris is obviously taking the side of the Big Ten. I am taking the side of SEC. We're both from Ohio, but uh, I'm not as attached to Ohio State as you are. And because of that, I a few years ago, I kind of realized that the football they play in the SEC is better than the football they play anywhere else in, in the nation in college football. And it's been that way for nine years. Um, the obvious the, the obvious bombshell that you hear anybody support the SEC with is seven in a row, eight straight national title appearances on top of that, and then a college football playoff appearance in 2014. So seven national championships in the last nine years. Auburn losing to Florida State in 2014, Alabama representing the SEC in the in the playoff in 2015. That's where you start. Um, but I also think that's that that is where uh, you kind of lose some people in terms. Of, it's kind of like uh, the Michael Jordan debate where you try and argue, oh, who's better, Jordan, Kobe, or LeBron, and you have the Jordan fanboys sit there and say six titles that's it and you don't hear any other side of the argument and so I recognize that the SEC has all these national titles and that's definitely uh something to hang hang the hat on and that's a strong point of my argument but the main point of my argument SEC football is better than any other brand of football top to bottom you have 14 teams in the conference right now uh, in my opinion I think there are 10 really good teams in there and then those bottom four every once in a while rise rise up and, and provide a good team or provide some good talent but top to bottom you won't find a more talented group of teams in the nation and that's the argument that I can be hammering home Chris I'll let you talk for a little bit but uh yeah well like Mark McGuire said famously I'm not here to talk about the past and Quite frankly, the run of seven straight national championships, which obviously was going to get brought up at some point in this debate, is very impressive. But 
That is two years removed from a national championship, and all during that run of the BCS, those from 1998 to 2004, the SEC kept lobbying for that college football playoff. Every single year, all I had to hear was, SEC, if there was a playoff, they'd have three teams in it, and it would be an all-SEC final, and it would be SEC, SEC, and it would be a coronation to the SEC dominance, because the SEC is the only place in the world that plays football. Well, guess what happened in that very brief appearance in the college football playoff by Alabama? They got slacked by none other than Ohio State, which I'm sure made all the SEC fans so happy because of all the Big Ten teams. I imagine Ohio State's the one they hate the most. And then on top of that, Ohio State just had to go and troll the SEC by winning the national championship. So if we're going to measure this by national championships, right now the Big Ten is on top because they are the defending national champions with Ohio State. But like you said, I don't necessarily think national championships are everything when you're measuring a depth of conference. But if we're talking about the past, certainly the SEC had a remarkable run of seven straight seasons where four of its member schools, four different member schools, lifted the formerly Crystal Trophy. Now it's some weird golden kind of football thing. Still cool, but it was the Crystal Trophy. Very impressive run, but it came to an end two years ago, and this year, the first year of the college football playoff that was supposed to be a coronation to the SEC's ultimate power, they left with egg on their face. The great Nick Saban, the great Alabama Crimson Tide, couldn't get past a team that most SEC schools find is overrated and inferior, and that would be Ohio State. So there was not a more perfect way for the SEC to come crashing down last year in New Orleans, which is SEC country, in the heart of the South. Ohio State essentially went on the road and beat supposedly the best team in the nation. So the tide is certainly turning, and if you're going to measure it by national championships, the Big Ten has the most recent one. That's a, that's a very good point. Um, to say that it's it's crashing down, that one year is a, an aberration. I think what you saw Auburn going to the national title in, in 2014 to play against Florida State, I would argue that that was their second best team in the conference that went to play against FSU and they obviously deserve to because of how the rankings played out but Alabama was a much better team than Auburn in that year um, and that's what that's what I, I think is the SEC's problem that if we're going to argue that national championships illuminate the conference as a whole and elevate the status of all the teams then I think they they and and all every conference will be in trouble making an argument for the future because every conference has a dominant team on top. FSU and the ACC, Ohio State and Big Ten, Alabama and the SEC, and uh, Oregon in the Pac-12 right now. Well, you mentioned that Auburn, that Alabama was better than Auburn. If Auburn was so, if Alabama was so much better than Auburn, why couldn't they beat Auburn and go to the SEC championship game and go to the national title game. Auburn beat Alabama head-to-head. I do not buy into the notion that a team lost this game, but they're still the better team. No, they lost the game. They lost to Auburn, and they don't deserve to have any sort of claim to the national title. You played them on the field, uh, and you lost. Well, 
All right, that, if we're going to deviate to that game, I mean, you miss four field goals, including one that's returned for a touchdown. Make the kick! Uh, you can vary. <laughs> you can, that's when you, that's, those, when special teams like that cost, turn the tide of a game, especially when you're on the road, you can very soundly make the argument that the better team no, lost. Because if everything hit, no, it's one kicker, dude. It's one kicker. It's one kicker. Like it's what? No, they, it's not one kicker or one field goal. It's four field. They missed four field goals. You just said it. They missed four field goals. I'm sorry. If you cannot execute yeah. a basic field goal, you do not deserve to win the national title. And when that kicker had already missed three, he tried a ridiculous field goal and didn't have any sort of return team on when Auburn started a guy in the end zone knowing he was going to miss it and fall short and ran all the way back to the touchdown. I'm sorry, great Nick Saban. Coach better and make some field goals and you'd be there. You lost the game. They're not better than Auburn. Auburn was the better team. Okay. <laughs> Alabama's better that year. I'm sorry. The, the, not but no, no, no. They lost the game. There is a head-to-head result. Auburn beat Alabama. Period. End of story. Auburn's the better team. All right. Well, what else are you gonna go on? So back to my back to my back to my point that I was trying to make before I lost my train of thought. The overall depth of the conference is at a point where you might be able to identify your number one team, but after that. And if if you can tell me who the second best team in the SEC is every year in and year out, uh, then you know something that I don't because I really can't. I think there's always a guy on top. Usually that team is Alabama. Like I said, they've you know they won three out of four national championships. They went to the college football playoff this year. The teams b- below that, uh, you know, last year, if you could tell me between Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Georgia, who is the second top? best team most talented team uh i i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to identify that and i think that is their strength now but it's also their biggest issue in terms of winning national championships the power isn't concentrated at one school it's all over the place and i don't think you can look at any other team any other conference and say that i mean 2014 yeah, they lost the national title, but at one point they had four. They had all four teams ranked in the top four at midseason. I mean, they might be not as good on top as they were three years ago, but everybody else is rising up and coming up. And if you're if we're talking about depth, there's not a better conference in the nation. Yeah, let's talk about that depth just a little bit because the division you are alluding to is the SEC West, which was very powerful that year until it actually had to play some good teams in other conferences where their five best teams, not one, not two, not three, not four, their five best teams in that division And let's just go over some of these losses. We've already talked about Alabama, but Wisconsin went into Florida and beat Auburn in overtime on a New Year's Day bowl game. Let's go down the road. Old Miss. Wisconsin also lost to LSU. Okay, but they beat Auburn in a bowl game. I'm talking about their bowl results, man. I understand that they lost to LSU that year. TCU, Ole Miss. TCU, not too far removed from the Mountain West. So I understand they were good last year, but it's TCU. The mighty SEC should not lose 42-3 in Georgia against TCU. Georgia Tech beats Mississippi State 
49 to 34 in the Orange Bowl, and then Notre Dame, a team you kind of took a shot at on your latest blog post, beat LSU in the Music City Bowl 31 to 28. So those five supreme, supposedly elite teams couldn't step up when it counts. And I'm and, and and the argument I'm getting tired of is this whole, well, the talent is so spread around, it's harder to win a national title. That wasn't a problem for those seven championship years. I didn't hear that argument when the SEC was winning championships. It's only now that they're starting to lose in the recent history. Now that they actually have to go out and win a playoff to win the championship, now those arguments are coming up. I didn't hear that when the SEC was winning titles, but all of a sudden, I'm starting to hear it. Look. Oh and five. Well, five years games. five years ago five years ago, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, they were not good teams. Oh, no, South Carolina's been a good team for a while. Five years ago? No, no, no. In Ever since five no. yes. Two thousand ten? Maybe a little bit longer. Dude, Steve Spurrier's been there for like ten years, man. They've been good for the last mm. seven or eight years. Steve Spurrier beat Urban Meyer the year before he won his first national title. That would be the 2005 season. So, yes, this is his 11th season at South Carolina. So, no, South Carolina's been good for a long time. But I will give you – I will I give you they've – taken a long, They've taken a long time to get uh, to where they are. They, they were number two in the nation at one point. They, they were number two in the nation. They had a shot. They were, them in South Florida were one, two, and one BCS pull. I think it was uh, – the year the Big East had all those teams. Maybe it was 2006, the year right after that. I don't know. I'd have to look that up again. But South Carolina's been good for at least eight years. I I don't I don't have the numbers on it. The the where they're at now, they weren't at that point five or six years ago, even with Steve Spurrier. They weren't at the level that they're at now, where they're a a perennial deep team that can win the SEC East. South Carolina was 9-5 and five and finished, I believe, 22nd in the nation in 2010. So a nine-win team in 2010, you're telling me they weren't that good five years ago? They were top 25 team five years ago. Mississippi okay, so State was 15th in the nation right. that year too, <laughs> by the way. But I will give you that Mississippi State... <laughs> They're not... They don't... You're talking about one year. I'm talking about, like, when have you ever seen Mississippi State... Ole Miss, those two teams in the top ten, uh, it it wasn't happening. Arkansas is back. They're they're back. They're a preseason top twenty five team now. They were ranked, I think, at some point last year. I they they're, these teams are up and coming, and they're they're better. One last thing: South Carolina finished ninth in the nation in two thousand eleven. Ninth. I will give you Ole Miss and Mississippi State. They have finally risen up to that top 10 level. South Carolina has been a good team for a very long time. This is not a recent phenomenon for them. All right. Well, I, I rescind that, but my point still stands. And then if you also consider the fact that the SEC started this run of dominance, they had 12 teams. Uh, two years ago, they added two more teams. Those two teams, Missouri and Texas A&M, Missouri back-to-back SEC East titles, Texas A&M, uh, knocked off Alabama at Alabama their first year. You know, Johnny Manziel, I remember that. They're a really deep, talented team. They've had a player go in the top 10 in the draft the last four years, I think. Uh, talk about adding two teams, not only to get to, to bolster your conference uh, strength and depth and recruiting grounds, but two really good teams that are now on the top of each division. Regular, I mean, Texas A&M, 
uh, is still struggling, but Missouri is is as good as any of those other SEC teams. I mean, yeah, maybe we should argue the, the depth. Maybe is there. we should argue SEC versus Big Twelve because those two teams were middling Big Twelve teams for a very long time, and then they come into the SEC. And Missouri, as you have said, has uh, just owned the SEC East the last two years. Now Texas A and M, obviously playing in a little bit tougher division, but let's shift the focus back onto the Big Ten. We're going to talk about bowl games. We're going to talk about that. And I know the BCS era has not been kind to the Big Ten on the surface with the national titles clearly in favor of the SEC. But guess what conference has the most BCS bowl appearances? This is obviously from 1998 till 2013. Last year doesn't count for BCS purposes because it was the first year of the college football playoff era. But in the BCS era, Big Ten, number one, 28 BCS bowl game appearances. Eight different schools reached BCS bowls compared to seven different SEC schools. SEC, to be fair, was second with 27 appearances. And yes, the SEC has more wins at 17 and 10, but the Big Ten also has 13 victories, 13 and 15. So not a good overall win percentage, but still 13 victories in 28 tries, which is tied for second among all the conferences in college football. So the Big Ten sent more teams to BCS Bowls than the SEC and had more appearances in BCS Bowls than the SEC. The Big Ten certainly was not a doormat during that era, and now they are starting to turn things up. They, I alluded to does, the SEC. Does that, include, does that stat include the national title game as a BCS yes. Bowl? Okay. Yes. And include the national title game was always counted as the BCS Bowl. Yes. So, yeah, those 13 and 17 wins also include their titles. And as I was saying, though, the tide is starting to turn. Last year, the Big Ten faced the SEC four times. The Big Ten won twice. Ohio State and Wisconsin beat Alabama and Auburn. Missouri beat Minnesota. Tennessee beat Iowa. The Tennessee-Iowa matchup was pretty even. Missouri, as you alluded to, Certainly a very powerful school. I don't think Minnesota was quite up to that challenge. That was kind of a mismatch. I think Minnesota is more like the sixth best team in the Big Ten. Missouri is probably the third or second or third. So obviously that was a bit of a mismatch. 33-17 in Florida. That's not really Missouri's home territory either. That was a very neutral side game. But the point is the Big Ten did win two New Year's Day games against the SEC. Had a 2-2 two and two record against the SEC. The SEC went 7-5 in bowl games. Impressive. Big Ten went 6-5 in bowl games. Right there with them. The tide is starting to turn for the Big Ten. If you look to the future, Michigan has been so down since 2008. Let's put this in perspective. They were 2-3 in the BCS era. They've only had one BCS bowl game appearance since 2008, since they got rid of Lloyd Carr. And... They were 2-3 and three in the era, so that means they've been super down. They just hired Jim Harbaugh, who turned Stanford around. Stanford was nothing, and now Stanford is still going. Even four years removed from Jim Harbaugh, that program is still cranking out quality teams year after year. So that is certainly a big win for the Big Ten to get a strong head coach in Michigan. Penn State has kind of floundered a little bit. They carried a lot of the weight during that BCS era, but hopefully they can bounce back. Wisconsin's always been strong. Michigan State has really turned things around with Mike D'Antonio. Obviously, or excuse me, Mark D'Antonio, I'm sorry about that. 
obviously the Big Ten is turning things around. They are starting to turn the corner. It helps when Michigan State's only two loss came to Ohio State and Oregon. It helps when Ohio State has the national championship in their back pocket. And it helps when the Big Ten has a winning record in a bowl season. And two of those wins came in big fashion against the SEC. The tide's turning, man. I don't think the SEC is as dominant as it was two years ago. Well, I, I certainly don't think they're as dominant either. I think the recruiting landscape reflects what's what has been coming, and that's uh, Alabama's hold on the number one recruiting class each year is getting getting looser, and more teams are are entering that top ten that we didn't see two or three years ago. But you know, from from a bowl perspective, you know, t- 2007 to 2013, the SEC they're 56 and 30. That's a 651 win percentage. Uh, they've been to they've won six or more bowl, bowl games since in every year except for 2010 where they were five and five they sent 12 teams 12 of 14 teams went to a bowl game in 2014 and they've sent no less than eight teams to a bowl game in the last nine seasons I mean again I'm, I'm hammering the head home depth is is their biggest strength and going forward I think it's only gonna get better I mean you're talking about future up-and-coming Michigan, hopefully adding to the strength of the Big Ten. I mean, Tennessee is a team that won the the, the BCS title or won a national title way, 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 way back in the late 90s. Uh, they've kind of gone through some things. They're back. They're, they're, they're ranked 25th well, right now starting They're the not year. back until they play this year. They finished 7-6 and six last year. Same with <laughs> Arkansas. Arkansas finished 7-6 and six last year. Certainly fine, but let's see how it plays out. They, they, their recruiting classes, it's just it's going to happen. They're, just, they're going to be ranked teams soon because, because of who they're bringing in. Um, sorry if I spoke too soon to not back up. But that's my predict. They're they're gonna have a good year, and next year will probably be, be an even better year. Yeah, Arkansas has Brent Bielema. They've been coming back really slowly. Kentucky is taking basketball dollars and putting lots of that money into their football stadium and into their football facilities. They're actually recruiting really well right now. I mean, it's it's an all out war, and I think more teams are getting into it and have more assets than they did seven years ago. And, you know, talk about a team that, that I just forgot. Florida has had a downswing ever since Urban Meyer left. They have a new coach. They're in Florida, so it's only a t- matter of time before they, they just hold their hat out and get some really good recruits from Florida to come to their school. Uh, to say that it's they're going to go on a downswing or – other teams are going to supplant them. I don't. I don't think that's going to happen at all. There's just too much talent down south for them to, to ever really give up a hold on on, on on their status. Well, first off, let's just be fair. If we're going to project teams like Michigan and Tennessee and Arkansas, certainly I'll give Florida a little bit of a benefit of a doubt. That's a big brand, but we also have to look at teams like Missouri. Uh, not Missouri, excuse me, Mississippi State and Ole Miss with a bit of skepticism. I mean, are they one-year wonders this year, or is this the start of something big? I don't know. I mean, there's well, certainly to, some questions to answer, for that. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think Mississippi State uh, lost everybody except for four starters, so they do have a lot of things to prove this year. They have Dak Prescott, so that might help. 
Ole Miss, though, has consistently had uh, for three or four years now really good recruits. Robert Andici was the, the, the highest-rated recruit three years ago. He's playing at a really high level. So I think they they are here to stay for, for a little bit. They certainly have the talent to back it up. Um, all right, I want to, you know, depth is my point, and I just want to talk about the NFL draft for a second. In 2015, the SEC had 54 NFL draft picks, and they've averaged 50 a year since 2006. 2015 was the second most since they had 63 in 2013, I think. I I don't have that one written down. I'm just remembering that off the top of my head. Um, seven different schools, SEC schools, were drafted in the first round in 2015. In the last nine years, they averaged nine first-round picks. 13 of 17 of the last 17 years, they've had a player drafted in the top three. And for the last five years, they've accounted for 40% of the top 10 picks. I mean, they they lead the league. They've led the league in draft picks for the last nine years. The talent is there. The depth is there. They might not always get the national title because you have powerhouses everywhere. You have cream of the crop powerhouses in every conference. And to definitively say that Alabama or whoever is the best team in the SEC is going to win the title year in and year out is foolish. But that's what SEC people were saying for the last seven years. Well, I, I that's yes, that's what they are saying, but that's not what I am saying. I am trying to make an argument for the best conference in the nation, and it's not that. It's the it's that they just have more depth and more talent. Every spot, every place you look, they've it. They're just they're just, they're just better. They they are better. It's there are more better teams there than there are anywhere. So else. I just have a question for you. Tim Tebow, obviously an excellent college player, arguably one of the best college players of all time. Does his NFL career taint his college career? Um, no. Okay, then why are we talking about NFL draft picks measuring college depth of conference? I understand that the SEC cranks out a lot of NFL players. Big Ten does too. So do all the big conferences. Not all those guys make it. I was looking for this stat. I could not find it. The percent of retention. That's what I want to know. How many of these players stuck around? I could not find the stat in my research. So I decided to argue it this way. I don't care how many guys get drafted. Guys bust all the time. I want to know how many of these guys stick in the NFL. I'm willing to bet if we're going to play the numbers game, it's probably going to go to the SEC too. But my ultimate point is this. If we're measuring a college conference, a college team... How many guys have had great college careers that just didn't pan out in the pros? Doesn't mean that they didn't contribute to making their college team and their college football conference any good. It just means they didn't work out in the pros for whatever reason. Maybe it was an injury. Maybe they just weren't good enough. Maybe they didn't fit in the right system. I just don't necessarily think that just because a lot of guys get drafted and go on to the NFL necessarily means that you're the best college conference in America. I still don't, I don't understand your your Tim Tebow point. He was a first round draft pick, right? But he didn't make it in the NFL, and that doesn't tarnish his college career. You get what I'm saying? Like, I think a lot of people view Tim. Doesn't Tebow, it embolden it? Doesn't it mean? Isn't it a validation of the success he's had in college that he was drafted that high? Right, but nobody remembers. I think more people remember how he played in the NFL than the fact that he was a first round pick. 
Hey man, you won a playoff game. I, I hey, you played pretty well. You did win a playoff game. Rex Grossman played in the Super Bowl too. Hey, he's, I know he's an SEC I, player. I don't know where we're, I don't know where we're going with this one, but I guess my point is, I think you know when you're measuring college football, look at I, I like to look at college football, how these teams perform against one another, how these teams perform in big game settings and in the non-conference. I don't necessarily think that success in the NFL necessarily means you were good or bad in college. I think your college resume and what happens in college should speak for itself. Uh, I, I think you should lean more that way, but being, being a draft pick and having, having those records for nine straight years, the NFL is looking at the SEC more than any other conference. Uh, that that says something. That says something to the level of talent that they're bringing in. No, I and I'm not saying that they're not bringing in talent in the NFL, and I'm not saying that the other conference don't conferences don't either. I'm just saying that in 2015, the fact that the SEC had X amount of players drafted in the 2015 draft isn't going to matter for me. When I'm evaluating whether or not they're the best conference in America, what's going to matter for me is how they perform in a non-conference and how they perform in bowl games. I mean, obviously, conference play is fun, but I mean, you can't measure depth of conference with conference play because you're not playing anybody else. You have no idea how it measures up against another league. Yeah, I, I hear. I think that should be considered more than the draft, but it's still, it's still important. Hey, out of conference. Uh, SEC five and six in twenty fourteen, but the last four years before that, eleven and seven, eight and six, nine and four, ten and six, uh, all winning records. So I don't know. I I feel like we're coming down uh, from from our big debate. Um, do you have any last things to say? Yeah, I do. I, I think just to sum up, I think the Big Ten certainly had had its lean years prior to 2013 and 14. Certainly has been sort of carried by Ohio State, who was 6-4 and four in those uh, BCS-era games and just now has the national championship. So certainly the Big Ten has been looking for its other schools to really step up ever since Michigan has been a void in the conference. Not having Michigan there as a strong number two has hurt the Big Ten. And I think Nebraska coming in could have been that, but they didn't. Wisconsin had it for a while, but they've been still solid, but not like an elite number two. Michigan State has been strong, but we'll see if they can continue. I think if all these teams, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan State, all five of those teams, and Iowa for a spell was really good, if all those teams can get going at the same time, you have a conference that is very formidable and very strong. But the Big Ten has to capitalize off its 2014 momentum. Obviously, they had a very tough second week of the season. They lost some big non-conference games. But they bounced back to capture the national championship and have a very strong ball season. They need to take that momentum and hit hard in the first four weeks. They need to just come out, their big guns, and win, win, win. Michigan State needs to beat Oregon. Ohio State needs to beat Virginia Tech. These teams need to step up in the big games. They need to win some non-conference games, win some high-profile non-conference games, take four or five teams undefeated into conference play, and then step up and have another successful bowl season. I think if the Big Ten does that, 
it will continue its way up. The SEC has peaked. You're not topping seven straight national championships. And I got news for you. The South certainly is going to have a lot of great high school players and certainly going to have a lot of great talent. But if you do not have strong coaches that can get them to play for your schools, Alabama had some very lean years between 2000 and when Nick Saban came in. Just because you're in the area doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a deadlock on it. Right now, the SEC has a lot of strong coaches, but what's going to happen when they start losing some of these guys, when these coaches start retiring or maybe get pushed out because of a scandal? I mean, Ohio State didn't expect to lose Trestle. So the point I'm making here is the SEC has peaked. They are not topping that run they had for those seven years. It's not happening. These teams are going to have a lot of work to do to continue the level of success that they have had over the last few years. And I think there's nowhere but there's nowhere for this to go but down for the SEC. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few years another conference knocked them off their, their plateau. I would say I would not say peaked. I would say the conference is just changing, getting deeper, having more challenges. Uh, I think that they're facing competition from multiple conferences now. The Pac-12 is set to have a, an amazing year. They, they had lots of teams ranked in that preseason poll. They had a really successful bowl season. The Big Ten, obviously, with Ohio State winning the national title. But the depth is there. The talent is there. The dynasty that they had is is just two years removed to say that it's over right now is would be uh, jumping the gun a little bit. What if they win this year? Then, then, uh, then you can make the argument that's still going. Uh, the one game you didn't mention, uh, Wisconsin plays Alabama, kicking it off, man. That's that's how you started off. I know, I know. I just named a few. I was just rattling them off the top of my head. But certainly, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity for the Big Ten to continue to capitalize off this momentum now obviously i don't think they're good it's hard to win every high profile game i mean you're facing another good team but they certainly have to have a good record or at least safe face and but if they could take all four teams four teams undefeated and get alabama i mean ohio state should be virginia tech you know they need to they need to come out and really have a strong non-conference season especially this year coming off a strong bowl bowl season for them yeah yeah i did find something uh close to what you're talking about in terms of retention it has the top 12 schools by number of nfl players and just in the top five four of them are sec schools ohio state's number nine wisconsin's number 12 and the sec has six of the 12 top schools in terms of NFL players. So that's not exactly what you're looking for, but um, that that was a that measurement of players on the opening rosters from 2014 in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's a better stat, a little bit better stat. I'm not, I, I had a feeling it would be slanted for the SEC too because they do crank out a lot of professional football players. But I guess the ultimate argument I'm making is – the fact that they had a lot of people drafted isn't going to factor into my evaluation of their league uh, in 2015. So I don't necessarily think it means that the SEC was the best college conference just because they had the most players drafted. For sure. You already mentioned that. Um, all right. 
that was good. Right, man, I'm washing but... my war paint off. <laughs> it's all good now. Yeah, we have. <laughs> Are you okay? I'm good. You need a I'm good. All right. My face. I don't want to hear anymore. I need the my face to dry off a little here. My war paint's still kind of smearing, but it's all good. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, we have a little bit of time left. Uh, a couple things were have have been coming out. Uh, let's head to the NFL for a second. Alden Smith, another DUI. Uh, he got cut by the 49ers. What are your thoughts on that? Kind of a shame, really. I mean, Alden Smith's one of the best defensive players in the NFL, and you always hate to see elite-level talent be held back by off-field concerns. And so, obviously, it's very serious. I mean, DUI is nothing to take lightly. I mean, you're, you're putting your life and, more importantly, other people's life in danger when you decide to drive impaired. Um, it's important to note that you know, I do think that people do rush to judgment a little bit. I'm not condoning what he did, but I also am a big fan of letting the legal process pay out, play out, and see what comes of it. Uh, I haven't read up on it in a little bit, so I don't know if uh, any more information has been released. But I certainly think that uh, Alden Smith. I mean, it's just it's just a shame to see stuff like that happen. Yeah, definitely. Um... I agree with what you said, letting it play out, but he was on a short leash, so having any kind of run-in with the cops was pretty much grounds for termination with his contract. Certainly, um, I at, certainly don't disagree with them terminating him. I and mean, when you do this thing three times, even if the third one's alleged, you're right, you're on a short leash. Um, but I'm just saying that you know, let's not just point at a guy and call him guilty until he has his day in court, until we see all the facts present itself. Again, I, I, I'll be the first to admit uh, something else could have come out in the last couple of days or since this podcast was released and, and I might sound a little foolish there, but I am a big believer in just due process. I'm not, I'm not defending the guy. I just think he deserves to speak his side of the story too. Yeah. But I mean, talk about a blow, uh, Alden Smith off the team, Patrick Willis retired, Chris Borland retired, Navarro Bowman, uh, coming back from an ACL tear, Justin Smith retired. Uh, the, the Niners are in for a rough season, I think. I th- I think Alden Smith was one of the players they were they were hoping on, and with him off the roster, it's I don't think it, it looks good for them. Well, certainly, I think the Niners were in for a rough season, even with him, because I think they play in a brutal division. But yeah, it's not good. It certainly does not help losing all that talent and then losing Alden Smith as well. They're going to have to rely on their offense even more without Frank Gore. More of the shoulders are going to be on Kaepernick. He also doesn't have Michael Crabtree. They may, maybe Jim Harbaugh, that mutual partnership was a little more mutual on his side because maybe he saw the cracks coming yeah. and he's like, I got to get off this thing before it hits the iceberg. So I don't know, but if, if you're going to put all the shoulder, all the weight on Colin Kaepernick's shoulders, I don't necessarily think that's a recipe for success. Uh, well, first off, no one player can win anything in the NFL, but Kaepernick is not the kind of quarterback who can elevate your team like a guy like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Drew Brees. I think Kaepernick's a guy who needs a pretty good team around him to be successful. And so, yeah, it's. I don't think it's going to be good for San Francisco this year. Yeah, me neither. Uh, okay, so w- w- another... Uh... NFL tidbit, Arian Foster out with an injury till mid-season. Uh, what are your thoughts about 
him? Do you think when do you think he'll come back? What does that do for the Texans? Well, it certainly doesn't help the Texans, that's for sure. I've read a stat that Arian Foster compared to his backup was like the biggest drop off in the NFL or something ridiculous like that. So certainly it, it's going to hurt, especially when you're trying to get Brian Hoyer or Ryan Mallett developed into that system. And they have a pretty good team. That defense is pretty nasty. On uh, they, they they certainly took a step forward last year. And we'll, they had a lot to look forward to. They don't play in that tough of a division other than Indianapolis. So, yeah, it's a big blow for them. I mean, the, the big question is going to be whether or not his injury is serious enough for them to IR designate him to return. If they do that, he cannot play for the first eight weeks, and then their bye is week nine. So he might not come back until week 10, miss half the season. That is a huge loss, not only for the Texans, but for fantasy footballers everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely throws a wrench into some fantasy football plans. Um, you know, two years ago, they had uh, they had insurance for Arian Foster. It was Ben Tate. And now they don't really have a proven backup. I think that with Arian Foster, it, he he's had some injury issues. They should have kind of prepared for this situation. I don't think they, they thought wisely. This is a team that's supposed to be on the upswing. And without Arian Foster, that offense, uh, I mean, we saw what happened to Brian Hoyer when the Browns lost all semblance of a run game and an offensive line. Uh, it, it wasn't pretty. So I don't know if he's going to fare any better down in, in Houston uh, but that that defense is good if Jadavian Clowney comes back and is healthy that they'll be even better uh, I just don't know if they can do anything more to help that offense yeah I mean at this point I don't know I mean running back is the easiest position to replace I think so they have that going for them but again I don't necessarily know who they have bubbling in the pipeline because you know Foster has been so dominant and yeah, you need a good running game to take pressure off a guy like Brian Hoyer or Ryan Mallett, who I think Mallett, I think, will be the guy. I think they want to see what they have in him. I think they have enough information on Hoyer, but I think they'd like to know whether or not Martin Mallett is their franchise quarterback. He certainly looked good in the game I saw him play against the Browns. So I just think, yeah, you, you lose one of your best playmakers, it's not a good thing, especially for a team that had playoff aspirations going into this year being so close last year. Yeah, definitely. Man, I don't know that. I had to do some serious thing about fantasy. We should do a fantasy football episode. I've been torn about that because I have some hardcore people who might go out and listen to my podcast to get a <laughs> sense of what I'm saying. So, if we do, I may have to do like a wink, wink, nod, nod. Don't listen to what I'm saying on the podcast. Put on a persona right, or something like that. Like, so, because I, I thought the same way. Actually, I was like, wait, why would I go on? to my podcast and announce my strategy exactly like I, I and i have guys in this one league i play in who would do that they would seek it out and try to uh get 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 a heads up on me so i'm not sure if i want to tip my hand yeah yeah maybe that's not a good idea so we got some quick hits uh indians made a post trade deadline move they swapped michael bourne nick swisher and 10 million dollars for chris johnson what do you think about that? Love it because their trades combined saved them $21 million next year, I read somewhere. And so hopefully they'll use that money wiser than they did three years ago when they signed Bourne and Swisher to these terrible contracts and 
go out and improve that offense, which exploded against Minnesota over the weekend. But Chris Johnson included, I think everyone was involved with that party. But, you know, Chris Johnson a couple years ago looked like he had some potential. He's kind of floundered since. But, hey, he's a solid guy to take a chance on, and maybe he'll get it together for the Indians. But I think this was all about just freeing up roster spots to let some of these young guys develop uh, instead of giving playing time to Bourne and Swisher, who really were just albatrosses around this franchise next. I think they were paying them a combined about $30 million, maybe just shy of $30 million, so per year. So obviously you don't want your two highest paid players or two of your highest paid players um, performing the way they were. Yeah, I, I like it too. They save money. Chris Johnson has a big contract, not as big as Bourne or Swisher's, uh, but he's a better player than either of those two guys at this point. So he's he's a better bet at this point. Bourne, uh, Bourne was never, Bourne never impressed me. I don't think he ever had an impressive stretch in in the three years he was in Cleveland. Swisher had a really good first year who brought some good culture plus a good power bat. He had 20 home runs that first year when they went to the wild card. Ever since then, he's been hurt, and that contract looks worse and worse every time. So good for them to get rid of both of those contracts. Another caution to you teams out there that sign these guys who are 30 and over to longer than three-year deals. I'm looking at you, Washington, and Max Scherzer. You love it now. And I'm not saying Swisher is anything like Max Scherzer, but... When these guys get old, those contracts don't look as attractive. Well, I, I would go just a slightly different way in a cautionary tale to a small market team putting all their dollars into players uh, and, and it not working out. If it works out, if they produce for all four years, it's great, but uh, it's a big risk and it's magnified when you don't have the payroll to eat it. Oh, certainly. I mean, when you're the Dodgers who can just say, here, take all our guys and we'll pay their salary too. I think the Dodgers... Even though their salary number officially is $240 million, I think they're paying something ridiculous like $50 million in just dead money to guys who aren't on their team. I mean, they're printing cash out there in L.A. Cleveland Indians obviously can't do that. Yeah. So. All righty, but PGA Championship this weekend, Bob. Obviously, Jordan Spieth is not in the running for the Grand Slam anymore. Are you still interested in golf, or did that kind of kill it for you? Uh, I will tune in when the leaders are are make themselves apparent. Um, Rory's going to play, so that was good news. Uh, if Spieth is is anywhere close to in it, yeah, I'll watch the end of it. But uh, you know, I can't. I it's not my biggest interest golf, so I'm not going to devote a whole weekend to it. But I I will definitely follow it. Yeah, I'll follow it too, but. And I certainly hope Spieth can get three out of four. That would be awesome. This kid is uh, really rising to stardom real fast. And it's not like he lost the the British Open by much. He shot like a minus 14 and couldn't make the three-person playoff. I mean, that's just yeah. – how do you shoot a minus 14 and not even be tied for first? That's just ridiculous. So it's not like he was blown out of the water. He certainly has had a fantastic year, and I'll be interested to see if he can keep it up at the PGA Tour. But, alrighty, we packed a lot into this podcast. Hope you enjoyed our first debate. Uh, we don't have time for political correctness here on what are you talking about. We've got college football to talk. So, hope you enjoyed the debate. Hope you enjoyed our podcast. Uh, please follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports. Follow us on Instagram, FenleyROADSports. 
Come back to FinleyRoadSports.com. We'll have some more content out on the blogs. And stay tuned for more episodes of What Are You Talking About every week here on FinleyRoadSports.com. You can subscribe via iTunes. We're going to have a lot more football in these next coming weeks. College football is going to kick off soon. NFL is right around the corner after that. High school is kicking off for me. I'm neck deep in high school football previews for the daily paper I write for. So it's football time, man. It's uh, revving up, and it's going to be fun. But until next week, we will see you then. All right, I'll see you, Chris. All right, man. Take care, Bob.